Welcome to Brain Buzz Podcast. We are a podcast that is dedicated to making research engaging, accessible, and fun to listen to. Each and every episode has a new researcher on, ranging from topics on casual sex to nonverbal behavior to today what we're talking about with Ben Davis Purcell is particle physics. So if you skipped grade 11 physics or it's been a couple of decades since you took the class, this will be the episode for you. Before we jump in, I want to announce that we have launched a Patreon page. So if you want to make research accessible and science accessible to others uh, and you like what we're doing at this podcast, please do check out our Patreon page. You can go to our Facebook, our Twitter, or our Instagram page to find the URL for that. Depending on how much you love us, uh, there are different tiers. The first tier allows you to have access to our Discord channel, which is going to have a lot of like-minded people that are interested in research and science, a lot of undergrads, graduate students, and, and just science lovers in general on there, uh, and a lot more other awesome things. So please do check out our Patreon if you want to support us and, and the podcast. It helps us tremendously. If you're someone that likes to watch podcasts on YouTube uh, while you're working or while you're at your computer, please do check us out at Brain Buzz Podcast on YouTube. We have recent episodes out and we're going to be publishing new episodes with video uh, coming soon. So please do check that out. Anyways, that's enough from me. Enjoy the episode. Friends, colleagues, and particulate masses, welcome to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are joined by Carlton, PhD candidate in physics and scientist working on the ATLAS experiment at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, better known as CERN, home of the Large Hadron Collider, Ben Davis Purcell. Ben, welcome to the program. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And Ben, you uh, have con you convinced me over Twitter to have another physics episode that I swore I wouldn't do this quickly. But now we're a physics podcast, it seems like. You have some really cool work, Ben. Uh, and you, you literally like said you convinced me over messages on Twitter. And you did it in one one long paragraph. <laughs> I, yeah, I was I was worried about that. I was hoping to, uh, to not overwhelm you, but entice you at the same time. So uh, I'm glad that that was successful. Yeah, no, you did it. You did it quite well. I mean, it didn't take too long. It was a good, it was a good little chunk on Twitter uh, DMs, but I love it. And honestly, you sold me right away. The work that you're doing is really, really cool. Um, and I know nothing about it. Kyle knows nothing about it. Um, but we've heard a lot about it in the news. And like, just in general, it's really a, a popular topic is, you know, particle physics and, you know, talking about this hydron collider, but we know nothing about it. So how about we start with what particle physics is? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, for some reason, particle physics often ends up being the, the subject of, of science that gets highlighted in, the, in these news stories. But uh, yeah. I, guess, I guess that's just a, a good sign for the advertising of, of people in particle physics somehow. That's yeah, somehow you're like the darling. It's like you're the darling aspect, of, like the darling part of physics. Like people really are fascinated <laughs> by particle physics. You know, yeah, you're, the, yeah. you're the Hollywood like celebrity <laughs> uh, division. I mean, I guess astro astronomy too, to be fair, right? That, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah like planet <laughs> stars and everything too. But yeah, sure not, we won't talk about that. Yeah. I'm talking. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll bring my. You, you can hype me up, and I'll bring myself back out there. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. All right. So to answer your answer your 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 question, um, particle physics is the study of the smallest things that exist in the universe. So as small as you can think of and hopefully even smaller, um, that is what we are studying. So the most common particle that we would 
be aware of, let's say, on a day-to-day basis is an electron. So most, most of us have heard of an electron before. The flow of electrons is the definition of electricity. Um, so that's obviously completely vital in our day-to-day lives. And so the electron is a particle. And in fact, it is a fundamental particle, which means it cannot be broken down into any smaller constituents, at least as far as we know yet. So, but part of that is what particle physics is studying. These, ideally, um, we look for fundamental particles, but just the, the, the smallest things that make up the universe. So what other fundamental particles are there? So we have what's known as the standard model of particle physics. So that's like uh, one, of these, one of these buzzwords maybe that often shows up in, uh, in various articles. But really what that means is these are the list of fundamental particles that we know describe everything that we, first of all, interact with in day-to-day life. And really everything that we understand um, in the world can be zoomed in and then therefore described by these fundamental particles. And so there are in total um, 12 fundamental um, particles that, let's say, do something or like move around and bounce into other particles to make things happen. And then there are four fundamental force carrying particles. So you actually split particles into particles that feel forces and particles that transmit forces. And then each of those particles has a corresponding antiparticle. So when you actually sum it up, plus one particle that I'm leaving out because it sort of is in its own category called the Higgs boson. So there are 17 particles and then 16 of those have, have and these antiparticles are the like villain to the superhero here. What are they? What's their purpose? They are very simply, basically, the easiest way to think think about them. Think about them. Sorry, is the opposite charge of the particle. That's nothing. Nothing crazy about them. But if a particle and an antiparticle meet in space, they will annihilate into pure energy. Interesting. And what oh, is what, cool. what is pure energy? What, I, mean, I don't know anything about physics here. This is going back to the Big Bang at this point. Like, what is what is pure energy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds cool when you say it like pure energy, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but really, pure energy is is a photon. <laughs> okay. Okay. So okay. And, and I'm going to continue to make myself sound stupid here. What is a photon? <laughs> Excellent question. No, very good. Okay. So when we're talking about particle physics. To introduce it properly, you really have to talk about um, this force fueling set of particles and tr- force transmitting set of particles. Now, there are four fundamental forces. Everything that happens in the world, well, in the universe, can be described by these one or some combination of these four fundamental forces. The one that we are most common with, or most that we that matters the most in our day-to-day lives, is the electromagnetic force. The force, a an example of a force feeling particle of the electromagnetic force is the electron. The photon is the force carrying particle of the electromagnetic force. 
Yeah, I think that's that's coming together. That's coalescing for me. Let's let's okay. Yeah, it's it's much easier if we if we think about it as a as an example, as a more yeah. straightforward example. So yeah. if you're to like bang your fist on your desk or your computer or whatever is in front of you right now, gotcha. why does your fist or hand or whatever not go through that table or pass through the computer? Because I'm not strong enough. Is that what you're trying to say, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the yeah, that's <laughs> particle physics is the study of one's inner strength. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so, so I've at the gym recently. So. Yeah, <laughs> I won't take that personally, Ben. So the electro that's a, that is a, what would you consider an example of electromagnetic force is actual like the actual interaction between two like objects and like it's stopping more or less. Yeah, exactly. If you boil it down to a, a force, which is the only reason why your hand does not pass through a desk, let's say, if you zoom in at the smallest scale that we can zoom into, it's because the electrons in your hand are repelling against the electrons in the desk, and it so it just can't pass through. That mm -hmm. It is simply an electromagnetic force that is stopping that your hand from passing through. And so then if you really zoom in, you can think of that electromagnetic force. It is, you have these electrons and these other electrons repelling each other. So electrons are negatively charged particles, negative charges repel each other. And right. so you can think about it as like when two electrons get really close, then they repel, but how they're actually repelling is like they shoot out photons or they shoot a photon at each other to, to transfer that energy and then repel. So right. the photon is like, what is, what is causing an electron to repel? You can think of like a photon smashing into another electron to shoot it away. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking of like, whenever you're, you know, just getting introduced to physics at a young age, you know, they get the magnets out and you see that the negative is literally, you can feel the negatives pushing against each other. Uh, and you feel that with like those simple magnet magnets. And that's the case for any electromagnetic force. And it's just that you're looking at these very small, you know, the smallest particles that are, I mean, the smallest unit that we can look at, which is a particle. Exactly. So what happens when particle, like one particle, the smallest, you know, unit that you can look at hits another particle, what happens to each particle? Yeah. So in, we can actually really just think about it as like pool balls on a pool table as an example. So it's, it's really just, you know, like you're shooting a, shooting a pool ball at another, at another ball and they collide at some angle and then they both go off in some different direction based on the angle or based on how powerful you were in your, when you're smashing the pool cue into the, into the white ball, let's say. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's a similar thing with, with particles based on the amount of energy that a particle has, or maybe the amount of energy that you gave a particle to make it move, then it'll bump into another particle and it'll shoot it off in one direction. If the particle that you um, gave an initial energy boost to had more energy, or if it has less energy, maybe it'll recoil away. So, but really, I mean, in, in its most basic form, it's just like billiard balls smashing into each other. Right. And 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 does a force, uh, how, how does a particle increase momentum or f like how does it grow in force or power yeah so momentum oh, yeah, yeah well 
you can certainly make a particle go faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what happens at CERN, which we will, which we will get to. Yeah. Um, but the, a, one of the fundamental, um, basically, I mean, properties of particles, a, a fundamental law in physics is that momentum is always conserved. So if you are going to increase the momentum of a particle, you have to be injecting energy into it through some, some means of, of giving something energy. Like you can think of like a battery, right? If you, a battery injects energy into something, but that energy has to come from somewhere, comes from the yes. chemical reactions inside of the battery. Right, right, right. Okay, so you, you talked about electromagnetic force as one of the four forms of forces that you can look at in particle physics or in physics in general. What are the other three, just so we know? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. So the other one that comes up most often in day-to-day life in that everybody knows about it, it's the reason why we stay on Earth and we can't jump from the surface of the Earth to the moon. What do you think, what do you think I'm talking about? It may be gravity that you're talking about. There we go. That's it. That is one of the four fundamental forces to go along Amazing. with electromagnetism. Funnily okay. enough, gravity is the force that at a fundamental particle level, we actually understand the least. Really? Like at our human scale, we understand gravity very well. But down at the particle scale, we have still a lot more to learn about gravity, um, interestingly. Okay. But anyways, yeah. um, the, other, so the other two. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then the other, so then the other two forces are really, they, they don't, um, they don't affect us on our length scales on like, you know, the one meter, let's say length scale, the size of a human. Um, we have to zoom in, so you get a lot smaller before they become important, but then they are very important on smaller length scales. So they are called the strong nuclear force, the strong nuclear force is responsible for holding particles like protons together. So a proton is a, it is not a fundamental particle. It is made of smaller constituents, but it is a particle with positive one electric charge, just like an electron is a particle with negative one electric charge. And so a proton is sort of like the fundamental building block for all molecules, everything that we we interact with on, on in day to day life, but a proton is made up of smaller particles called quarks, and the strong nuclear force holds these quarks together. So it's very important for everything to exist, but yeah. we don't, we don't actually measure it until we're at, we're looking at the length scales smaller than the size of a proton. Right. Okay. And so then, that's, that's so, binding everything together, more or less. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the the other, the, the fourth force is called the weak nuclear force, sort of okay. corresponding to the strong nuclear force. Yeah. And that is responsible for nuclear decays. So a um, the most the most common example of this is like a, a beta decay, which or you can just think of like a, a simple radioactive decay that's the common example that people may have heard of is like uranium decaying and giving off energy that Mm -hmm. decay happens because of the weak nuclear force now i mean i don't want to give off the idea of like radioactivity and all this negative negativity associated with that but you know that's a common example that comes up in in media a lot 
would say. Right. Yeah. Obviously, because of the implications associated with such. Right. Such, right. right. Yeah. The weak nuclear force, is that kind of just like the opposite of the strong nuclear force? Because it's the strong nuclear force is holding them together. And the weak nuclear force, as you said, is decay is the decay of those protons. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, no, no, no. Like that's that is that is correct. But the they are sort of named the, the naming is more so strong and weak has to do with the length scales. So how zoomed in basically you need to be in order to to feel that force or to measure anything about that force. And so really the strong means that it's a little bit bigger, a little bit more zoomed out than the weak okay. nuclear force. Okay. Okay. So Ben, are, is the work that you're doing specifically on electromagnetic force or is it, are you doing work on all types of forces? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. So I specifically work on an experiment called the, the Atlas experiment and to just sort of, I guess, we'll zoom in on that a little bit first, and then we'll we'll back out and explain it a little bit more. But, As you should with particle physics, I, I, <laughs> I like zooming in and out of different different scales. So it's perfect. Um, so that experiment is what's known as a general purpose experiment or a general purpose detector, meaning it is not optimized for one specific force or not optimized to look for one specific particle, but instead it is the detector is built to measure everything possible. Everything that we can hope to measure, the detector is, is, is built to be able to record all sorts of different particles and corresponding um, the corresponding forces and particles that transmit those forces like we are talking about, but it's not specifically zoomed in on any one of those forces or particles. So it's sort of a scattershot approach, like, hey, we've got this facility, let's see what we can find kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So so with that in mind then, like what does a what does a typical experiment look like? Uh, or what does the Atlas experiment do? Like if somebody were to come and watch an experiment occur in the lab, what would that look like? Yeah. So for this type of particle physics, we are looking at, like I said, all of the different particles that we possibly can, but we want to be able to create all of those particles or at least have them appear in our detector somehow. And it turns out that the best way to do that is by smashing two particles that are made of more fundamental particles. So particles that are not fundamental. So specifically, I'm sort of beating around the bush of the word proton again. <laughs> so what we do is smash two protons into each other at really, really high speeds. And then these protons collide and their inner constituents basically meld into each other and you get this collision of a whole bunch of energy that then gets shot out around to the detector which is surrounding this collision point and then probabilistically over a large number of collisions all the different particles that can be created are so you're not going to create every particle every time two protons collide, but 
by making enough collisions and recording enough data, you will be able to see all particles that exist and hopefully ones that we don't even know exist yet. Okay. Okay. That's starting. I, I, I think I'm getting that. So when you say that, like, because I always think about science as being like this, this sort of replicability kind of thing, right? And so when you're saying, hey, we're smashing two protons together and we're hoping that it creates these particles, why, why aren't we getting the same particles every time? Yeah, okay. So that's where quantum mechanics comes in. Oh, no, I'm sorry to have asked. <laughs> so, yeah, with, with, without, uh, without going deep into a quantum mechanics discussion, um, this, is a, this is a great topic for a future podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm not a quantum mechanics expert, although I certainly um, have taken many courses on it. Um, when, you, when you are at this level, this scale of the universe, right, down to the size of fundamental particles like electrons, the universe actually becomes probabilistic by nature. So, for example, um, if you are trying to say when we are zoomed in really close, looking at an electron, if you wanted to say, well, I know that this electron is in this one exact spot, then what you are saying is that you know exactly where it is, but somehow at the same time, you also have no idea how fast it is going. Mm. So there is some probability that if an electron is in some given um, distance range, it is going to be moving in some given velocity range. So without going any, in, any further into that, basically there are probabilities of different particles being created um, with so maybe let's say one percent of the time that two protons collide, we'll get out two electrons from that. Maybe ten percent of the time that two protons collide, we'll get out um, a photon or two photons, like we were talking about before, to talk about some of the particles that we've mentioned. You know, mm -hmm. and some percentage of the time, the two protons will just sort of glance off of each other and not make any other particles and just sort of pass right by. So the probability we can make everything that exists. How fast are we talking about here? Like, yeah. Like how quickly are those protons moving? They are accelerated to 99.9999991% of the speed of light. Holy shit, that's fast. So how how do you get them to move that fast, Ben? Like how how what's the equipment that you're that you've been you you've been using in uh, Geneva to do this? What what does it do? How does it accelerate it that fast? And how large is it? Yeah, awesome, awesome question. So this is where CERN and specifically the Large Hadron Collider come in, like you like you mentioned in the intro. So first of all, CERN itself is a massive particle physics lab um, that spans the border between Switzerland and France. The, the closest city, as you say, is Geneva. And the, um, the biggest thing, the biggest, let's say, experimental apparatus at CERN is the Large Hadron Collider, which is basically a big tube. And by big, I mean 27 kilometers in circumference. Jesus. So a big, God. let's say, pipe underground, not so far underground, about 100 meters underground. And 
within that underground pipe are um, are beams that have these protons circulating in them and they go round and round and round until we make them crash into each other around or in the center of one of these experiments like mine. Okay. 27 okay. meter or 27 kilometer circumference is how big it is. How yes. long is it? Is, and is, it sounds like it's circular. Is that correct? Exactly. It is a, it is a circle. So right. yeah, the large, so large Hadron Collider, just uh, to, to break down those words, well, large, because it's, because it's very, you know, <laughs> it is large. Yeah. That's self-evident. Yeah. Um, a Hadron is a, a class of particles. So particle physicists really like making all these different uh, categories to group particles in, and there's overlap depending on how you make the groupings. So anyways, a Hadron is for example, a proton. It is a particle that is made up of quarks. So like I was saying, um, part protons are made up of quarks. So hadron is really just a fancy way of saying proton. And then collider, well, that means that they are smashed into each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. That's really interesting. I had no, honestly, I had no clue it was circular. I, for some stupid reason in my head, I, I thought it was just like a, you know, like a roadway that went across the full switch, like, all of Switzerland, and I, that makes more sense than it's now circular because you <laughs> the, the amount that you're going to have to make these. I mean, the speed that you're making them move. I'm sure that they're circling these uh, the hydrogen collider multiple times. Like, oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you, you've got it, and, and it's it's not at all um, stupid to think that it could be a straight line. I mean, this is the there were many um, earlier experiments that were just straight line particle colliders where you just smash two particles they start at opposite opposite ends and you just yeah. fire them at each other and that's it and I'm, I'm and there will be more in the future there is certainly um benefits of that style of collider mm -hmm. um but yeah with it is with a circular collider that's where you can really get up to this this nice um high velocity and in fact it would be impossible if it was just this 127 kilometer ring there is a series of increasingly larger rings that you have to continually accelerate your protons in before they get up to the max speed of the large hadron collider itself and then once you have your protons up to that max speed firing around the large hadron collider then that's where exactly as you say they can keep on going round and round and round until eventually they they lose their energy and we're ready for the the next injection of protons so there are each each proton is going around that entire 27 kilometer circumference 11,000 times each second <laughs> that's that's an absurd number that is is honestly like not comprehensible yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not comprehensible for me either oh, yeah. <laughs> wow when, when you say that there's the detector in this uh huge like just area like surface area within this like you know 27 kilometer circumference how does it detect how does it know where this collision is going to occur does it or is it everything's kind of just on like a monitor i'm trying to figure out how you actually pick up that you know, like I, I picture a microscope just like zooming in on these particles, but how does it detect it? How do you see these things? Yeah, you're you're visualizing it in the in the right way. I like to describe the experiment as a really large microscope because we are looking at really tiny objects. 
And so what, another way that you can, you can visualize it is like, let's say we have the, a, a bicycle wheel, like a tire. All right. And that you could, so we, let's, let's, or even now simplify that to just a, a metal ring. And now let's, let's break open that metal ring a little bit and take an onion and shove that metal ring right through the center of the onion and then connect back to the other side. So now we've got a now we've got a metal ring with an onion around that metal ring with the with the ring going right through the center of the onion. Right. So by design, we make the protons collide right at the center of the onion and the onion is our detector. That is our experiment. Okay. So by design, we make the protons collide there. So yeah, I mean, you are you are getting at a technicality that is that is important to point out. So really, there are there are two tubes in the Large Hadron Collider: one sending protons in one direction, the other sending protons in the other direction, and then they are made to collide right in the center of of our experiment, along with the three others that are at different locations around the Large Hadron Collider. Mm, okay yeah okay. i mean i never did i think that putting a ring in an onion would make sense for an analogy but it did <laughs> that was a brilliant way of putting it it makes a lot of sense yeah uh, so is 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 the speed important here like do you have to go really fast to be able to to create these particles or or is it just fun to be like, how fast I made this proton go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fun to to say that you're going at ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the speed of light. <laughs> but yeah, if, they, if that wasn't necessary, uh, then we wouldn't we wouldn't do it. It would make things uh, much more difficult than it had to be done. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so really. Um, you can think about it in the famous Einstein equation: E equals m c squared. So what that means, that's like a common equation. Somehow that's like a, 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 an equation that people seem to have heard of that appears in movies a lot. Yeah. Like, oh, Einstein equals MC squared. Well, mm -hmm. what does that actually mean? It seems like really complicated. But what it, it is just simply saying that energy is equivalent to mass. So if we want to be able to... Um, create particles with larger mass in these collisions, we need to have larger energy. And so that is why you want to keep on increasing your energy, which means keep on making these protons go faster and faster in order to create more massive particles. And, and that again comes with this probabilistic nature of things. The, so the faster you are going, the more energy you put into your system, the higher probability that you will create higher mass particles more often. So that's we everything that we do is based on some sort of theoretical prediction. And then we go and search for different energy regions based on those predictions. And so basically the world of particle physics has said we need to be looking in this larger mass range to better understand um, what what we are looking to discover for example better understanding the force of gravity at this small scale so mm -hmm. so yeah we absolutely do need to be at this energy and uh, and in fact we always want to keep on going higher higher energy as well <laughs> yeah and so that's exactly kind of leading to my next question ben is 
is why are we why are we spending so much time energy and money obviously because i'm sure this project is is very expensive to create something of that scale why is it so important and what are the findings that are really you know driving this research what's the point in all this yeah 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 really really good question um so we first of all for the for the the cost of it it is absolutely a, a, a really expensive experiment if you just look at the the money involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, we know that there are not going to be there, there, it is impossible for for many different um, institutions or researchers around the world to each do their own experiments like this, right? There is it's not like there was so much money given to particle physics. It's more like all the particle physicists in the world interested in this all come to work together and pool all of their money for this one big set of experiments. Right. And so the, the fundamental reason is, well, we want to understand how the universe works, right? It is particle physics is fundamental research in that we are not like searching for a cure to something or trying to specifically solve one problem. It is about understanding how nature works at its tiniest possible level. And then we trust that with that knowledge that we gain, we will be able to, to use that knowledge to actually do things that are useful for, for everybody. And then the byproducts of what you obtain from, from that knowledge are, are basically the deliverables to society along the way. So like one um, quick example is like the internet, the World Wide Web would not exist if it were not for CERN. So the World Wide Web was created so that particle physicists could talk to each other and share their data more easily. This was created at CERN in the in the late uh, in the late eighties. So this, that's just like an example of a byproduct that comes from from doing experiments like this. Could you imagine just sitting around being like, you know what, we need to make this product that's going to make life easier. Let's just devote a bunch of time and effort to that, and we'll come back to our other stuff. <laughs> but like, let's deal with the like that's insane to me. I, I mean, the history of the internet's kind of a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a wild story, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, not it's you. You have to be be committed to to just learning and and acquiring knowledge in order to be able to to use that knowledge down the line, right? It's like when we discovered the electron, we didn't know that we'd be able to understand electricity and build computers down the line. Nobody nobody would have like predicted modern laptops, for example, like we had when the electron was first discovered, like a little over a hundred years ago. Um, but because we we studied the electron or we searched for it, we found it, and then we studied it so well to really understand it, now we've been able to to create these you know incredible computing devices, for example. And so this the same can be said about other particles that we are understanding much better. So there's like down the line, you know, maybe a hundred years from now, this research has led to a form of communication. Um, like basically nearly instant, nearly speed of light cross um, cross globe data transfer. Let's say, mm. right. 
better than 4G is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Effectively, I guess what you're getting at is is you know literally harnessing the the power of this these particles by understanding how they they work and interact. We can then kind of harness that power and apply it in other other contexts um, that have positive benefits for all of us. Yeah. Like these these particles are literally the smallest things that make up everything, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we can guarantee that everything that exists is made from some combination of, of this, of these like 17 particles that, that I listed before. I mean, and actually really it's, it's much fewer than that in day-to-day life. Most of the time, which just like protons and electrons that matter for us. Yeah. But so by better understanding that, I mean, it's the possibilities are, are endless. What, if we could increase our understanding of that, excuse me, of that, of that fundamental level. That's brilliant. This is uh, the first time I've ever actually understood what the Hydron Collider was all about. And learning more about particle physics is a unique perspective that, as you say, is, you know, the foundation for everything that exists, which is mind boggling on its own, but you've done a, uh, such an amazing job at making it simpler for me and for, I hopefully, I assume our viewers to, to understand. Um, Ben, what's a common myth that's associated with your research? Um, I'm sure there's lots with, when it comes to particle physics, do you have any popular myths? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say if, uh, if you've never searched this sort of thing on YouTube before, don't go and just type in CERN Large Hadron Collider because you'll find a whole bunch of different conspiracy theories mm-hmm. about how it's going to cause the end of the world and all, all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So make sure you're yeah. getting your, your information from nice, nice science sources. Like two of my favorites are, are um, Physics Girl or or Veritasium. Those are those are really good uh, YouTube sources um, as an example. But yeah, so there was. What one big thing that went around the internet, and even you can still find this is still a, a belief that a lot of people have, is that the the Large Hadron Collider, that CERN would create black holes that would suck in the the entire Earth and, and cause the end of the world. Absolutely, <laughs> I I remember distinctly hearing about this, and I was going to ask you, so I'm glad that you brought this up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's the that's the most fun uh, conspiracy theory, I think. So, and it is, yeah, of course, it is just that it is a it is a conspiracy theory. So, I mean, that's that's like coming from the idea that there's so much energy because we're accelerating particles to this almost the speed of light and smashing them into each other. That, that must be like a crazy amount of energy, right? Like, like, like don't even think about lasers, actually. you know, but if you actually think about it, like, okay, did you, did you hear that, that clap that I just made? Yeah. All right. So that, that clap, there's more energy in that clap than the, than the collisions from protons at the, at the large hadron collider. <laughs> no joke. That that's real. The the thing about the large hadron collider is the energy density. It's it's because you are colliding these protons, these particles, at such a small scale that yeah. there is the energy is very dense at that scale, but the total amount of energy is is nothing, right? It's like actually the it is about the same amount of energy as two mosquitoes buzzing. That's that's like the, the average collision energy of, of the LHC. So people were like, oh, we're going to be creating these black holes because there's all this energy and it's going to suck in everything. But I mean, we can very easily calculate that and show that it's impossible. So yeah, that, that would that would never happen. <laughs> hey, quickly, you mentioned you kind of mentioned sound here. Do the protons make a sound when they collide? 
Uh, yeah, uh, good, good question. Um, no, because there is these collisions in order for them to happen, they have to be done in basically perfect vacuum. Um, so all air is sucked out of the of the tubes where these collisions are happening and so when there's no air when there's no vacuum sound is sound doesn't exist sound is the is the the collision of particles in the air so right. when there's no air there's no sound okay that makes sense that yeah okay that checks out in my little <laughs> in my little brain all that kind of is, is coming together we talked about this off the top but people are fascinated enough about this sort of particle physics work that in many in many respects you're sort of the a-list celebrities of the of the scientific community and yet there's so there's just this i mean there's this in, incredible propensity to create myths and misconceptions and misconstrue what's happening um, <laughs> at the collider. Uh, I guess it kind of comes with the territory being being the famous the famous one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess because it's because it's so well known, or I mean, it's a it's a great tourist attraction, right? It's not like anybody can go and visit on a on a normal year and a normal, you know, given world right. scenario, it's, it's, it's open to the public, right? Anybody can book tours for the different experiments at CERN to just go, go look at the, the whole lab structure, right? It's not like we're hiding anything. There's, there's nothing to hide, right? It's, it's, we're just, we're just, if you just go and look at CERN itself, you'll really just see a whole bunch of warehouses where people are working in their offices. And it's, it's, it's really doesn't look anything special outside of like the, the tourist area that has like actual old pieces of detectors that, that are really cool. So it's, yeah, I think it's just done because it's this big thing that's in the media and you slap the word physics on. And for some reason there's this connotation associated with that. And you know, your old, I mean, it propagated from all old science movies and that sort of thing. And then it's because of that, it's so easy to just, make some video and get clicks on on youtube or on the internet and so yeah. really it's yeah that's all it's about it's ben, not area 51 or anything no, yeah, yeah, no, no, you exactly. don't have armed guards here no, no, no. ben you said it was super expensive and I, I can imagine and imagine you're not not like it's not being run every day here how often do you experiments actually get run in the hydron collider hydron collider yeah yeah no that's a great question um so there is a ton of work. In fact, I mean, most of the work associated with the Large Hadron Collider itself is figuring out how to accelerate these particles to these incredible high speeds. And that involves, well, a, a lot of magnets. And in fact, it involves a lot of what's called superconducting magnets, just to throw in uh, another buzzword there. However, superconducting just means that the, conduct, the conduction, the transmission of electricity is so good that there is no resistance at all. So your electrical current will continue forever. That's what superconduction is. And in order to, do, to, to get superconductivity, you have to cool down magnets to, well, the, like some of the coldest temperatures that we can make on Earth. So the magnets have to be cooled down to about 2 Kelvin, which is 2 degrees above absolute zero. As a reference point, open space, the vacuum of open space itself is 3 Kelvin. 
and the um, zero degrees Celsius is 273 Kelvin. Holy shit. Okay. So <laughs> cooling these magnets is really what takes the most energy and they, the magnets have to be turned on and off in order to make them last longer. And there's other um, maintenance that has to go on. So all that is to say is that the actual Large Hadron Collider is firing protons and smashing them into each other about two thirds of the year. And that goes on for about two or three years. And then the entire um, Large Hadron Collider is shut down for a year or two for basically all out maintenance and upgrades, along with upgrades to the experiments themselves. And then you ramp things back up and do it all again. And then you cool them down and then you ramp them up. And so it's like the, the entire life cycle of the Large Hadron Collider, it started taking data in about 2005 and it's going to continue running sper experiments um, until about 2035 or 2040. Amazing. Wow. I, I, for some, again, for some stupid reason, I thought it was just like, you know, you turn a microwave on whenever you want to do an experiment. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, obviously this got, it also adds into the myths and misconceptions because we don't, no one knows that's not a part of it or hasn't seen it. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> uh, and so that's really interesting that you're, you're actually making things colder to speed that up. And how do you, this, I swear, this is the last question I'm going to ask about it. How do you make it so cold? Yeah. Yeah. No, good question. The, the questions are great. <laughs> um, so that is, is done by um, liquid um, gases effectively. So obviously when, if they're liquid gas, they're no longer gas, they're liquid, but so you super cool. Um, the most common one that would happen that you'd use in like uh, chemistry labs would be nitrogen. So that's like one way to, to start cooling things down is by, by making liquid nitrogen. And then we also use liquid helium, um, liquid argon. So, so gaseous particles at, at room temperature, if you, um, if you cool them down or, or force them um, to be confined to a smaller space and turn them liquid, you can basically flow them in tubes around the magnets to, to cool them down. Awesome. Well, Ben, uh, I I just like to thank you so much for joining us on the program. It was a lot of fun to learn about uh, all the wonderful work that's going on uh, at CERN and and um, and really just to get some some insight into what it's all about. And and for you, honestly, to endure our questions is is quite kind of you. So thank you. No, no, thank you, thank you very much for having me. This was this was awesome. And uh, and yeah, it's really nice to have like a a visual representation for this kind of thing too. So I I'd encourage listeners to, um, for example, look like at the physics girl YouTube channel. And she came, um, last year for a, for a full tour of CERN has some really nice videos of the facility. And also if you're just on uh, YouTube and go to the official CERN YouTube channel. So that's just C E R N on YouTube. That is the account name. Then they've got tons of really good videos of what actually it looks like when you're sending particles around at each, around each other through the large Hadron collider and colliding them. So really nice visual representations. Fantastic. Um, ben, as well, if people want to keep in touch with you, how might they go about doing that? Uh, yeah, so you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's uh, my the only the only real social media I'm active on. So that's just my name, Ben Davis Purcell. Um, all is all is one word and no hyphen, even though my last name is is hyphenated. <laughs> but yeah, you'll you'll find me. I, I'm not I'm I'm active in that. I only try and uh, try and promote science or, or meet other other scientists interested in uh, in outreach. And you know, it's it's I've I've 
I was very hesitant to, to get involved in, in social media. Um, but I mean, I never would have found out about your podcast if it wasn't for that. So now I've, I've, I've grown to appreciate the, the, you know, the, the communal network that you can make. And, and I've, I've met a, a ton of awesome people, scientists and non-scientists alike. So if you use it well, then Twitter can be really useful. So yeah, please, please feel free to, to connect and, and reach out and ask me any questions there too. Great. Yeah. As always, uh, you can find information uh, and links to Ben's Twitter on brainbuzzpod.com. Uh, you can follow BrainBuzz on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe to any newsletters, updates, uh, content on brainbuzzpod.com. And of course, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BrainBuzzPod. Until next time, cheers. cheers.